it's clear here to me that marriage is meant to be a forever thing. Now, it doesn't, we know, we know from this room, from any room you go to, not just in America, but anywhere in the world, there's going to be broken marriages. There's things happen. Maybe people could change it if they would change it if they could. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. But God's design for marriage was for it to be a man and a woman for a lifetime. And that it just doesn't always work out that way. And we know, but it's because we live in a fallen world. So in verses 10 through 12, the disciples perceive this as a hard statement from Jesus because they, they're thinking, well, wait a minute. We know this Mosaic law. We know that we know what's permitted. But Jesus doubles down and he says, no, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So imagine being the disciples and, and you've heard, or even the scribes and Pharisees for that matter, but you had heard a teaching on a topic your whole life. And you're, you're trying to do what's right. Maybe, maybe you're might, you might not have it all figured out yet, but then Jesus comes along and tells you, no, that's, that's actually not good enough. In your own righteousness, it's, it's a fail. It's not good enough. And that's what's happening here. They were, they were trying to be righteous through themselves without the help of Christ. And we all know that can happen. So let me ask you this. Why did marriages fail then? Because actually, divorce was quite common back then. Uh, I guess it's not something we ever pondered or whatever. But back in this day, just like it is now, it was quite common. They would come up with reasons, uh, and they would have to go to a person in charge wherever they lived and have an actual bill written. They would have to present it to their wife, and she would have to go. And that, that's pretty much how it worked. The wife wasn't allowed to divorce the husband, but she. what would often happen is she would talk the husband into divorcing her if she wanted out of the marriage. So it kind of, you know, they, they're bending the rules one way or another. But it, but it, I don't want to say it worked out, but it worked out for evil, I guess. But um, so why do marriages fail then? Why do they fail now? I think probably if we were honest, the number one reason would be selfishness. And, I, and, and listen, and like I said, I'm no expert. I have been married for 18.97 years or so. Yeah, I totally made that up. But um, if I was to stand up here and tell you that Amy and I had never fought and we've never had any problems that we had to work with, I'd just be straight up lying to you. Um, we were both Christians when we entered into our marriage in 2003 at 24, I think. And, but I'm going to be honest, we didn't, we didn't enter into our marriage and say, Amy, no matter what happens, we're going to put each other first and God first. That's, that's all that matters. We didn't say that. We were... We were young and Christians, but maybe didn't have the right focus all the time. And I'm going to, you know what, for the first four or five years while God was teaching us, it was difficult. I think it is for a lot of people, maybe even everybody. But God worked with us and we have gotten there. We really have gotten there. It's gotten a lot better because we have refocused and put Christ at the center of our marriage, or at least we were trying to. And uh, it really does make a difference. So um, another reason why marriages fail is because of a lack of Christ-like love. And I'm not talking about infatuation love. I'm talking about Christ-like love, sacrificial love. Uh, How about this one? How about lust as the focal point of the marriage? Uh, I think that happens way more than people think. I think that because... Two people find each other extremely attractive, 
and they know what you're supposed to do in today's society is get married. So they say, well, man, that's what we got to do. We got to make this happen. And they get married and it's out of reasons that are not God-centered, like lust or whatever, infatuation. And that's going to wear off. It's going to wear off eventually. Especially if you've been married 51 years. But uh, I'm not meaning to call you all out. I'm actually really proud of that. That's a long time. <laughs> uh, how about this one, uh, infidelity? A lot, of, a lot of marriages. And infidelity can mean a whole bunch of different things. It can be... Uh, it can be the actual act of infidelity, or it can be other things that I'm not going to get into, but you guys know what I'm talking about. A lot of marriages in because of that. How about this one? Here's one you may not have thought of. Obsession or idolatry towards your spouse. Have you ever met somebody who was completely obsessed with their spouse? I mean, like they put them on a pedestal that probably God should be on. And I think that's, honestly, I think it's idolatry. Because anything that takes the place of God in your life or that is, that is more important than your relationship with God is, is some form of idolatry. And it's easier than you think to put most of your love onto a person and most of your adoration and maybe even some that should be on God going towards another person. But here's what's going to happen. Nobody's perfect. They're, they're going to let you down. You're going to realize one day that they don't belong on that throne. Then, then what do you do? Then what do you do? How about this one? Finding a soulmate to complete us. Have you heard that one? I'm, I'm trying to find a soulmate that's going to complete me. And my mind went a lot of places in this one. Funny stuff. But I got news for you. Only a deep, meaningful relationship with the Father can fill the void in our life. The only thing that's going to complete us is a, is a deep relationship with the Father. It's not going to be any human being on this earth. Now, that's not to say that you can't pursue a meaningful relationship with Christ with your partner, because you can. That's what it's created for. But if you're looking for your partner to complete you, what movie was it? I was trying to figure it out, but I forgot to look it up where she goes, oh, you complete me. Oh, Jerry, that's, that's exactly. Is, you complete me, Tom, whatever his name was. But that's a, that's a sappy saying in fake love stories, I mean, in my opinion. It's not to say that you can't be happy in marriage, because you certainly can. It's just to say, if you're looking for a spouse to fulfill all of your needs, it's just not going to happen. That's only accomplished through a deep relationship with the Father. Now, but like I haven't got, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... This can be accomplished together with your spouse. That, that's the whole idea. It's a, it's a unity in order to pursue God together. That's what it's supposed to be. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm learning this too, 19 years in. The, the good part is God doesn't just forsake us, you know, when we mess up. That's the good part. Because if that was the truth, I wouldn't be standing up here. I promise you that. I'd, I'd, there's no t- I'd probably be playing pickleball somewhere. If you know me, yeah, you understand. All right. Uh, the, the, so when you, when you fill out your papers for divorce in America or whatever, you have to cite a reason, right? What's the number one? Somebody say it out. What's the number one reason? Thank you. Thank you. Total, you're 100% correct. So irreconcilable differences. What does this mean? 
It means the inability to agree on most things or on important things. That's how it's actually defined from the website that talks about U.S. divorce. It's, it's the inability to get along, literally is what that means. We can't agree on the important things. So this is the catch-all excuse. It's what over 50% of the divorce cases in the U.S. claim irreconcilable differences as the reason for their divorce. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the marriage was founded on something that was temperamental. It tells us that the reasons that the people entered into this marriage were not centered around God. As a matter of fact, when things happen, now, and I am not saying that bad things, I mean, horribly bad things don't happen. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, 50% or more dissolve the marriage because they cannot get along. And I mean, in my opinion, that's just scary. And I I can understand it because, like I said, honestly, bad things happen. And that's part of life. Um, So I had to really look around to find uh, statistics for the American divorce rate and all that because there's like 20 different websites they all say different stuff, but what, from what I could put together, uh, in America now, in the last couple of years, about 43% of first marriages end in divorce. Now, it goes up exponentially for second and third and fourth marriages. Once it gets to a third or a fourth marriages, it can be as high as like 70%, which people, yeah, people don't think about that. But the numbers have gone down in the last 30 years. They used to be 8 to 10% higher. I'm sure you all have heard people say, probably even from the pulpit, that over 50% of, divorce, of American marriages end in divorce. I'm sure you all have heard that, right? Uh, the, the number's actually more like 43%, and it's gone down 8 to 10% in the last 30 years. But the reason is not godly. The reason is people don't get married anymore. They live together. They move in together. And I think it's honestly, they kind of caught on and said, well, now why would I do that if I don't have to do that? And later it would be such a big hassle for us to have to go through a nasty divorce or whatever. And so you have so many people that are living together out of wedlock in adultery. So that's the reason the numbers have gone down. It's not because Christ has switched people's hearts and because we're reaching the world with this kind of a message, unfortunately, although that is our job. Uh, also, something to note is America used to be three or four in the nation or in, in the world uh, as a nation in divorce rate, but now in the last ten years we're like fifteenth or sixteenth or something like that. And uh, but what that tells me is it's not an American problem; it's a sin problem. It's a world problem. It's a problem of this world searching for things they're not going to find anywhere but in Christ. So. It's just so hard. It's just so hard because it affects so many people. It's such a huge decision. And it affects so many people just, man. So, so Todd, so Todd, you're telling us all this stuff that's just put me in a bad mood. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. So what's God's design for marriage? What do we do? What do we do, Todd? What, what separates us from everybody else? How do we make it work? How do we make it work? How do we make it last? Love sacrificial love, not infatuation, not like if I say, man, I love cheeseburgers, 
which I do, which I, <laughs> I love me some chicken wings. Yeah. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sacrificial love. There is a point where I could consume chicken fingers or wings or whatever to where I'd be sick and tired of them. Promise you that. Nah, probably not. Yeah. But, uh, Love, sacrificial love is what we're talking about. That's the difference. Uh, Kelly, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. This ought to look really familiar because we spent a lot of time in Ephesians and we went over this and we've already had this one preached to us, but man, it's good. This is so good. This puts all, all of us men in here that are married, this man, this one right here is talking to us. We got to buckle down. Let's read through this. I just love this passage of scripture. I do. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here here it is. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, and this is quote in Old Testament, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Is that, is that not a great passage? That is a passage right there telling us that Christ has modeled the way for us in marriage. The relationship of how Christ loved the church and how he loved his people of Israel that is the relationship with which we should love our husbands and wives, our spouse, depending on which one you are. Love each other with the love that Christ has for the church. He sacrificed his only son for the church. Love each other. This is, man, this is a tough one. I'm telling you, this one hit home for me. Love each other as much as you love your own body. No one hates his own flesh. You might say, oh, Todd, I don't really like my body that much or, you know, whatever. Yes, you do. Who in here plans on eating lunch? Anybody? Anybody plan on eating lunch? Yeah, me too. You, you, love, your, you love your own body. You're going to cherish it. You're going to cherish it. You're going to nourish it. You're going to take care of it. Who likes to sit in the air conditioning? I mean, I promise you, all of us, right? We're going to cherish our own bodies. We're going to cherish ourselves. And this is saying, love, God, love your spouse as much as you love your own body. And, and, and Jesus even goes as far as to say, the two even become one flesh. Now, this is something supernatural that God does that I honestly don't really understand. So maybe one of you guys can help me after. Uh, but God at, in marriage makes the two become one flesh. He's making us like we're the same person in his eyes through the covenant of marriage, which was ordained by God. So putting your spouse before yourself in a, in, a daily, in a daily sense, in a daily setting, putting your spouse before yourself. I mean, that might, that might mean, men, we have to pick up a little laundry duty. And uh, for ladies, you may have to weed eat. Sorry, Amy, she hates weed eating, I've, but I have made her do it. Yeah. 
but putting your spouse above yourself, before yourself. Do we, do we go there? Do we think about that? And I'm thinking, yeah, we probably do. I mean, uh, occasionally. I think that in some areas in life, we're good at this. In other areas, maybe not so good. But uh, always, we should consider our spouse before ourselves. That's a tough one. Remember that we said most divorces that occur cite irreconcilable differences as the reason for the dissolution. The dissolution. This means they weren't getting what they wanted out of the marriage. Maybe it's not about we want as much as it about at it as it is about honoring your spouse and honoring God together in your marriage. Let's look at a famous passage of what real love looks like. And and like I said before, it's not infatuation. It's not, you know, how much I love cheeseburgers or whatever. It's it's love in action. Real sacrificial love is is love in action. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, verses 4 through 7. And everybody, you've, you've heard this a hundred times, but this, this really perfectly displays the love of Christ and the love that we should have for each other in a marriage. Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. So love bears all things, and love endures all things. Let's talk about forgiveness and reconciliation. Although Jesus stated a potential reason for divorce, and his reason was sexual unfaithfulness, or he says sexual immorality in the, in the ESV. God never intends for marriages to end in divorce. Ephesians 13, 7 that we just read, it is the will of God that we should always forgive, that love bears all things, that love endures all things. His ultimate plan for trouble in a marriage is reconciliation. Kelly, put back on uh, Mark 10, 9. We're going back to the, one of the verses from the very beginning there. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I mean, that's really clear. This is right out of the mouth of Jesus. What God put together, leave together. That's what he's saying. If there is any way, leave it together. Remember last week when Jared talked about the story of Jose, Hosea and Gomer. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. It's full of poetry and prose uh, kind of hard to understand at parts, but some of it are real straightforward. It's a wonderful, heartbreaking story of infidelity, ransom, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So remember with me that God told Hosea to go out and marry a wife of prostitution, which, I mean, you know, that's, man, that's a rough one. And, and, this, and he did, he was faithful, and he did what God told him to do. After that, they had three children together, And then Gomer left Hosea and went and lived with another man living in adultery. So after they had three kids together, she went and started living with another man. And I'm I'm guessing he probably left her with the kids. I don't know. I didn't say that one. Although this was gut-wrenching to Hosea, God told him to go back and find Gomer. He had to go as far as to purchase her back from the man that she was living with in adultery. And I think he was also paying off some debts that she had to this man. But he ended up having to pay 15 pieces of silver and a whole bunch of barley to go back 
and to get his wife back from this man that she was living with. Imagine the humiliation of that, really for both parties. But man, the humiliation there. And God told Hosea to do it, and he went and did it. While God's covenant relationship with the Israelites remained through his son, in his death on the cross, he formed a new covenant with all of us who believed in Jesus Christ when Christ died on the cross and, uh, and we surrender to his lordship. So those of us who believe are now called the church. That's us. So this story of Hosea and Gomer directly applies to us now after Christ's death. We are the church. We, guys, in this story, we're Gomer. We're not Hosea, we're Gomer. In this story, we are the ones who turn away from God and follow false idols. We're the ones who prostitute ourselves away from Christ. And then he comes back to us and he purchases us back and he brings us back into his fold. We're, we're Gomer. Christ is Hosea in this story. And the good news is, and we do know this from scripture, at the end, Christ will come back for his bride. He will, no matter how much we turn away from Christ, if we are part of the actual church, the big C church, as they call it, he will come back for his bride. He's going to come back and redeem us once and for all. We're going to be with him forever. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing news. And this is a, such a perfect example of how Christ wanted marriage to be. Even though there's going to be crazy stuff that happens, it's all about reconciliation. It's about forgiveness and reconciliation. It's about him paying our ransom. And one day we'll all be with him for eternity. Marriage doesn't have to end when horrible things happen. There are situations where I understand, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to get caught up in the weeds of here's when you can and here's when you can't and here's who is you know, available to get remarried. I'm not, I don't even know all that. All I'm saying is God loves marriage. He ordained marriage. He wants marriage to last. He wants it to be forever. So it's about our heart posture. It's about are we willing to put God first in our marriage? Are we willing to love our spouse, spouse with sacrificial love, the love of Christ, the love of Christ to the point where he literally gave his only son to redeem us. Man, that's, that's sacrificial love. And that's going way beyond, maybe I, should, maybe I should make up the bed today, or maybe I should do the laundry, or maybe I should cook dinner, or whatever. No, it's sacrificial love. It's putting your partner before you, putting them in front of you, caring about their needs before you care about your own. And this is tough stuff, and, and God's been teaching me this in our marriage, but he's all about reconciliation. He's all about things being about him in the center of your marriage. So as I close today, and the band can come on back up, for those here today who are already divorced, it's, it's already happened to you. You've been through it. God still loves you. He still forgives. He, he's still, if, if, this, if this applies, he's still waiting to make things right, if, if that applies to you. If you've already made right with God after that, then you know what I'm talking about. He's not giving up on us. Your life is not over. Put Christ first. You can still put Christ first. He still wants what's best for you.
For those who are currently married or plan to marry one day, put Christ at the center. Put Christ at the center of your marriage. Make it about Him. Make it about two people together in a relationship with Christ. Two people together pursuing Christ. Make it about your spouse. Put your spouse before yourself. Sacrificial love, the love of Christ, the love that would make the God of this universe give up his only son, that kind of love. That's what we're talking about. Do you love your partner, your spouse with a sacrificial love? Like the love of Christ for the church, that he would sacrifice his only son? Do you love them as your own self, as your own flesh? Do you, would you protect them like you protect your own flesh? It's never God's desire for marriage to end in divorce. All through scripture, he has proved this with his love and his sacrifice for his people. And ultimately, he will reconcile us together with him forever. He will. If Christ has shown this great love for us, his bride, the church, can we show this love to each other? Let's pray. Dear God, it's, man, like Adam said, it's been a heavy week. And this is a heavy topic. But God, the good news is you love us and you sacrificed your son for this church. And you are willing to help us through if we will put you at the center. And God, I pray that the people out here today that can hear me, I pray that they will search their hearts if they're in a marriage relationship or plan on being in one. I pray that you will search our hearts and make sure that we are putting our spouse before ourselves and the needs of our spouse before ourselves and putting you at the center of our marriage. God, thank you so much for what you're gonna do with this word. Thank you so much for the ability to meet together and praise and worship you like we have gotten to today, God. And we give you all the honor and glory. In your name we pray, amen.